hey, welcome to Developers Hangout. Uh, developer, uh, I'm gonna try that again. Hey, welcome to Developers Hangout, a podcast for developers, by developers. Uh, I'm Nathan Kirschbaum, and I'm here with... Alfred Nutilli, who uh, is also a developer and sucks at doing audio. <laughs> um, cool. So yeah, um, had some really good feedback from our last podcast and are excited to bring you this podcast, the second. Um, we're going to jump into um, some interesting things that have been going on over the last couple weeks. Um probably start out actually with some some headlines and some interesting um some interesting reads uh that we've had um yeah maybe you could start us out with um uh, php unit 4.7 sure sure so as far as headlines go um php 4.7 was announced and i'll well, there'll be some links in the show notes um but the one thing that was really interesting was php unit 5 again moving towards only supporting php 5.6 and 7 so you see the uh, fast growth of uh, moving forward with PHP. Awesome, yeah, um, really interesting stuff. Um, also announced Laravel 5.1 release. Um, so this is really cool. There's a number of there's a number of important updates here. I think the main ones are probably uh, long-term support, um, some really really impressive updates on um, doc, docs documentation. Um, we've got uh, PSR2 and integration testing. Yeah, I can't say enough about the integration testing. Um, I started my own little project for another idea I had, and it's just just fun to have such like PHP unit speed testing. VHAT's great, but sometimes I feel it's slow, um, and, and this will do Selenium and everything. Uh, the integration testing won't. I plugged in uh, Jeffrey Way's extra edition for Selenium. Very cool. It, remind me, I, I can't remember if I heard this, but um, is this the one where you can? A- it actually adds some, uh, some, some additional. Uh, it basically allows you to test as if you were inside of a class, which which opens up more options. Um, is that right, or am I am I am I? Um, this one is more. This one is more about. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if it's doing that. This one's more like. Uh, you know, hit your hit your endpoints with the different post, get, put, see what's the JSON return, see, assert it's okay, clicking buttons on the screen, just like uh, BHAT does, but they're just trying to keep it simple. Very cool. Uh, and, and hit uh, maybe not all the, you know, you don't get the nice Gherkin syntax to get out of BHAT where you can really read the story and maybe use it uh, in, in several of your tasks. Um, uh, but for just uh, just quickly cranking your APIs out, but still having tests, it's been really nice. Cool, cool. Um, great. And, and, you know, and it goes back to what we did before, where at this point you could still be uh, replacing, uh, depend, you know, dependency-injected uh, uh, classes, which is really cool because you could be hitting an API that's eventually going to hit GitHub API, but you're going to mock that out and, and swap it. You can still have all that power. That's so great. really nice. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, all right, yeah, the next one is uh, mocking hard dependencies in legacy code. That was an interesting read. Uh, you know, sometimes we go back and forth about what to make public or private for cla- uh, methods. And, you know, um, this also goes into how, how in, uh, to get at a private um, method if you have to. 
Um, but it also deals with uh, hard dependencies and legacy code, which was really nice. It's a really worthwhile read. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, okay, and then we also have um, Nomad PHP um, upcoming lesson uh, has yeah. an upcoming lesson: building PHP daemons and long running processes. Yeah. So yeah, I posted that one because again, it just looks cool. It's June 18th. Uh, it seems Nomad PHP has um, some really cool videos up there. I'll put some links there for this one and the other ones uh, to keep an eye on, and I'll and I'll post back about them. Uh, as we go through the uh, different podcast shows, I'll keep up to date on those. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so should we jump into um, kind of latest readings and where we're at? Um, that sound good? Yes. And I just noticed uh, one more headline that I put in latest readings was the Monolith First article by Martin Fowler. Um, another good reading was uh, just him talking about, uh, you know, people have been mentioning to him that maybe building a monolith first is a good idea so that you could get a sense of how things work together before making the microservices. Um, he ends the article saying he doesn't really know yet if he agrees, but it was a really interesting read. Yeah, it, it's super interesting, and it's actually a good segue because it really overlays well with the microservices book that we are uh, currently reading. Um, you know, and it just goes to show you how kind of uh, how, how new this territory is. Um, although it did strike me because, um, you know, obviously the fact that Martin Fowler has not uh, personally been involved or known people who are, who are on projects who start with microservices where things end well, um, that is interesting uh, and kind of a flag to me. Um, so it's definitely something to keep, keep an eye on uh, and a good article, a very good article. Um, you know, he talks about sacrificial architecture, um, and kind of, you know, some of the things we've talked about in the past in, in terms of, um, you know, uh, where the first time you're doing something, things, it's more about speed and getting things in the hands of product owners quickly, as opposed to like, um, you know, specking everything out in detail and knowing exactly what needs to be done. And with microservices and services in general, um, it's really about like whether they're successful or not tends to be based on how well you define the boundaries. Um, you know, and it's interesting. I mean, he says even the, even the greatest thinkers, um, you know, today have a really tough time developing those boundaries between services from at the very beginning. I mean, it's, you know, let's face it. It's, it's at, at the very beginning. This is like at the time when you know the least you ever will know about the project you're working on. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, re- really interesting stuff. Definitely check yeah. out that article. Yeah. Which is, a, which is a good point. Like at the, be- things are changing so much that to, to change. I mean, I guess the thing is with the microservices, if you do them right, change it one area would not affect the other. Um, but then again, like you said, like when you're starting out a project, you're really getting a sense of, you know, the goals. Uh, and, and so therefore, if you keep having to, you know, change things overall, yeah, it could be a big waste at that point. So I kind of get it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and uh, um, the the one, one thing that came to mind was one thing we're working on now with large PDF processing uploads uh, you know, I tried that as a, as a monolith, monolith first because maybe just the proof of concept, you want to get it there. So it was an interesting moment where once it was actually getting hit with real size PDFs and not my perfectly sized ones, uh, it just died because it was just processing them. 
Um, so I wonder at what point, if there's a middle area, like what would have been a good route to go from there to, you know, micro, uh, would there have been like, you know, make server huge and fast or would there have been some other like in between? Yeah, it's interesting. And it's hard to say, like, um, you know, he, he even, Martin Fowler even suggests that, like, when you do need to go to a service right away, he often will start with kind of like a larger service than you anticipate to ultimately end up with. Um, and, that, you know, that does a couple things. One, you're learning a lot in the process. But two, um, you know, dealing with one or two services or microservices to get yourself into the workflow of of dealing with microservices and understanding what that means in terms of troubleshooting and integration and boundaries um he's found that to be pretty important and i i can say from uh, you know my experience working on the on the project that you're talking about um you know that is one thing i think that caught me off guard a little bit and i think that it was good it was a good thing that when it caught me off guard we were dealing with one service you know, now I think we're up to like three because we we really know what we need and we've honed in each – or actually it's more than three. Um, we've honed in what we need and we've broken things out into you know, se- separate workers, iron workers that all each one individually can scale and it gives us quite a bit of performance and do- does very different things. Um, but had I had to deal with – had I just been coming into that where um, where there are were, there were three or four services and, and now they all interact in a way where – when I'm troubleshooting, I, you know, it just would have been a lot more overwhelming, I think, to me. Um, so it makes sense, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting. Uh, the, um, the book itself, so we're in chapter two, Evolutionary Architect, and uh, it was some really cool points about are we our engineers, are we really architects? And in, in our book club this week, we touched on that a bit, how like uh, these are just funny titles that we've taken on. Taken on. And, uh, you know, those titles have certain meaning in, in the non-dev uh, world that don't match with what we're doing. Like when you architect a bridge, it, it doesn't, nothing's moving on you. It's well-designed, well-planned, and it doesn't, like the, the, the goal point doesn't change halfway through the project. People aren't trying to drive over the bridge in beta mode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was just an interesting spin on, on things that, you know, uh, I, I, I've heard before, but I didn't really, you know, it's been a while since I read, read about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I found it really interesting. Um, you know, some of, some of the folks in our, in our, in our book club, uh, are, I think are, are, are wanting more detail, more finite detail about right, the technical totally, pieces totally. of it. Um, but I actually found this to be, this chapter two to be very, um, very uh enjoyable and um it, it really i think is gave some context and it was interesting to think you know it's it's really funny because um so many times over the years um i there's been there's been references and i've even references the similarities to like what i do or what we do to building a house you know it's um it's kind of an easy way to explain to people who aren't familiar with our industry like <laughs> why things are, you know why things happen the way they do um and this is the first time i've heard it as like someone saying like well actually it's a horrible analogy it's a horrible analogy yeah. um and it is like if you think about it and you think about the points that he's making um 
it really is. I mean, I think it. I think it's um, you know, like that mentality. I think comes from uh, the waterfall approach, where you know, right. where it, right. things are more. They aren't agile, right? So that you know, it was easy to say. Look, you know, you can't make changes late in the game like this because you know, what if you built a? Th- what if you paid a contractor to build a three-story house and you know a month before it was done, you decided you wanted to be a four story house. Well, of course the price is going to be, you know, you know, why are, why are you having a problem with the price changing? You know, of course yeah. our estimates are invalidated, but that's a very, you know, and the same would probably, I mean, the same would definitely be true with a, with an agile workflow where ultimately the cost is going to be more if you decided to build something more. Um, yeah. But that's it's that's actually built into the workflow. Um, it's built into the process that there's going to be those kinds of changes. And so, the the I think it, I think it's interesting because I think the the whole kind of like engineer as architects um, comparison to uh, you know software engineers comparison to engineers building bridges really um, falls short when you compare it to um, an agile process and methodologies. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. There was no new titles made, but uh, it's just interesting uh, challenges. He did bring up zoning, how a, a town planner, uh, it, you know, uh, z- zones out, um, you know, where things, h- how things connect, where things can go. And uh, that was an interesting way to look at how, you know, we could plan things as well. Um, I think that's moving on from the subject of our title, but then the book kind of, that chapter talked about zoning. And how instead of architecting and, and designing everything from end to end, you just zone out where things can go and how, and, and then let the developers on those parts of the team uh, take over that area. Yeah, that, that was really neat. Yeah, you said that had some overlap too. Um, I, I haven't read it yet, but you're you're reading the Mythical Man Month, I believe, right? Oh, right. He he talks about um, uh, teams and uh, you know obviously how you can't just throw more people at something to get it done faster. Uh, and then how to, you know, larger jobs in any, any, you know, in, in many ways, jobs we're even working on can benefit from having a certain like, uh, Kirk Spock, uh, you know, sense of like strategy, like Kirk was a leader, but he was definitely going to Spock for advice and everybody on the ship would still do, you know, the stupidest thing cause Kirk said so. So it's like, you know, it's like you have a, a, a leader, but you also have, uh, you know, someone else who can help the leader see that, you know, beyond some things or over some things. And then you have people on the team, you know, who will just make those things happen uh, or make it so. And then, um, you know, but they have the freedom to be creative because you're not outlining like every little thing they have to write. Yeah. And, and you probably don't do Star Trek, I'm assuming. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay. Those uh, are useless. No, it's good. I'm sure. I'm sure many people listening do. <laughs> um, yeah. No. That 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 makes sense, though. And um, yeah, there was. I think there are parallels to that. You know, just in terms of. Um, you know, one one thing I think that that he he hones in on is even when you're in that role, it's really important to right. you know spend a day or two with each you know, with the people working in each of those zones, right? So yeah. that you don't, um, you know, so, so while you're helping to provide like over, 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 overarching guidance, um, you don't want to kind of, you want to really stay in tune with what's going on on the, on a deep technical level, um, yeah. in each of those areas. Totally. Yeah. Uh, that was really cool. I don't know if I'd ever want to be just an architect. It, his, you know, definition seemed to leave that person out from coding. Right. So. Right. Um, but that's, I think, you know, some of these books, especially Mythical Man Month, are, seem to be talking about big projects. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's head into some uh, questions that we had and some thoughts about them. Um, there's a lot here, so we'll see how far we get. Uh, and my name's in front of a lot of them, but feel free to take one on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'll take on the first one because it's always on my mind is the virtual reality uh, movement that's been happening since the uh, late 80s, I think, but uh, is now really, I think, uh, making some progress because of all the potential with hardware, Oculus Rift, um, other things coming out too. Uh, you know, I, I thought like, how does this affect our jobs? And, and there's two two angles to look at it. Like, think about freelancers. Like, sometimes one of our biggest problems is getting together, and uh, you know, sharing that whiteboard or talking in a meeting together um, to in person so you can see each other's, you know. Uh, facial and in, in, in reactions and, and you know Google Hangouts are great but it's 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 not enough. So one thought is like virtual reality could be cool because you could just you know everybody plugs in for the meeting or the whiteboard moment and you're all just sharing at that moment uh, what you think and you can read each other's body language and other things to you know see if 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 it's going well. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I mean, I think it you know I've I have in 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 various kind of like tech conferences or just local meetup groups that I've been at, I've been hearing about this for years and these concepts. And I don't know, even a couple of years ago, someone, I met someone at a, at a conference who was trying to, to kind of like onboard, um, larger companies to essentially sponsor her to create virtual environments, um, on existing platforms, um, that they could have meetings. And, and she said some people were, were doing it, um, already. It, w- it was very interesting, but at the time I was just thinking like, I don't know, you know, th- it was just really interesting. Um, but, but, um, I, I guess I, I met it with a little bit of skepticism, um, at the time, but this was before I had tried Ocular Rift at, a, at another conference. I tried Ocular Rift. Um, and I, and this was actually a fairly, um, uh, it wasn't the high definition version and it certainly wasn't the one that was, this was before they were acquired by Facebook, but it was, it was really impressive. Um, yeah. you know, the quality was similar to like video games. I don't know, you know, five or eight years ago, just in terms of like the graphics weren't high definition. Um, but I, you know, you could move around, you could look up, look down, left, right, turn around. And, um, you know, it, it was basically like you were in the real world, uh, yeah. just not with high definition. So something like that in high definition, um, would just, is, is just a game changer. Um, you know, I even saw yesterday, um, Mark Zuckerberg d- did a kind of an announcement, uh, or an update on, um, on this, on, on Ocular Rift and it's really cool stuff. I mean, they've developed, um, they've developed unique, um, unique technology to, um, to, to do things like, uh, the example he gave online was like shooting a bow and arrow where he actually had sensors, um, you know, on his hands and was able to pick up a virtual bow and arrow and shoot wow. it. Um, wow. So just really interesting stuff like that. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, go ahead. Oh, well, go. Well, I was going to say like the other thing, and this is interesting is, um, you know, I'm now, I now work on a virtual team. I mean, Al, you and I live fairly close by and get together for coffee <laughs> sometimes, but you know, 98% of the time, um, our, and especially our larger team well, is, we're in our nice cozy home yeah like, exactly geez. and what was interesting is what our current um what you know the the company who we're doing some some work for currently um recently decided to kind of uh, get the larger team together in a non-virtual environment great. oh it was amazing yeah. and i never thought about what the benefits of that might be yeah. 
Um, But it was really significant, and I was surprised. I was surprised. Um, And it really, it was a huge benefit because, you know, while while I was easily able to, when I joined the team, I was easily able to, like, you know, befriend and kind of get a good working relationship with the three or four or five people that I was working closely. But the, the truth is this company has many, many developers. And... Uh, there was really no better way to get to know everyone and to um, you know find out you know what people do and 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 just kind of who you can turn to if you need advice or those kinds of things without meeting in a non virtual environment. Um, it really led to a lot of things, I think. And and yeah. so what's interesting is like you know <clears throat> I even said like I even made a comment that um, you know this would have been almost impossible to create in a virtual environment. Uh, and I wonder yeah. if things like, you know, this virtual reality is going to change that. Well, I think it will complement it. Like what you experienced, we do maybe once a year. What if we did that plus two of these? You know, it's like at what point do these things, you know, because it, it won't ever replace that, you know. Right. Uh, so, um, but, you know, it could complement these things if we had these technologies to do that more often without all the travel. Also thinking like trainings, like how many times have you trained people, but you, you got to go there and you kind of, you're out of your zone or more importantly, you're training them over Google Hangouts or something. You can't see their reactions as easily as if you were, uh, I mean, you can see video now pretty good, so you could see that, but when you, you know, I think it could have some advantages overall. So, yeah. Uh, so yes, that, that's it. the other side to that is, you know, how will it, like, how will it affect us as programmers, right? Like we think websites now, but like in five years, will websites be, you know, uh, that thing that is, is right up there with a fax machine, you know? Right. Because VR is now like, well, you don't do websites, you do uh, whatever that thing is, right? Right. Uh, and, and therefore, will that, uh, will PHP matter? Because that's our main focus. Will APIs matter? Probably. But will PHP and websites matter? I always wonder about that. Um, so my only answer is, well, there's still Cobalt de- uh, developers, so I'll be okay. Yeah. Well, let's put it this way. I think that, uh, you know, if, it, if things do change so significantly that, um, that PHP doesn't matter as much, uh, we, I think we'll have a decent amount of time to make a transition. And whatever, whatever it's getting replaced yeah. with will be so cool. We'll be excited to work with it, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, HoloLens know. looks awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, yeah. so, all right. Cool. You want to take on the next one? So yeah, um it's kind of open-ended. Yeah. So so it's interesting. So we um we've so in terms of services and more importantly like queues and workers, um we've tried a, a few things um over the last year and we've basically ended up with iron.io. And so we we thought it would be interesting to just talk about that a little bit, um maybe explain it for people who aren't as familiar with it kind of like you know what yeah. what purposes does it serve um and then there are also some comparisons that can be made we can talk a little bit about um you know what what we used prior to iron.io why we don't why why we don't kind of just roll our own so to speak huh. um there's also new options out there right um yeah. aws has lambda now that is out of its beta phase oh, yeah. so it's totally available for um for use so I think that's interesting. So maybe uh, maybe we can start out um, now. You know, one question I think that that you would be great um, to be uh, t- to answer would be, um, you know, can can you explain um, a little bit about before we were using Iron? Because I know that um, you you kind of got into queues and and 
well, definitely cues, maybe workers prior to iron. And that would be interesting to hear about. Well, I mean, basically, uh, you know, we had some solutions where um, one of the guys on our team, Matei, used Mule to help track uh, the spinning up of workers because you had to spin up all these other uh, EC2 instances to take over the particular uh, process. Um, so we had some things going on, but then there was little, like, uh, things you had to do to manage and, and update. So by going with Iron, for me, what it meant was um, I got a queue system that was pushed, so I didn't have to have a daemon running and restarted with every new git build. Um, and so by the queue system being pushed, I just had to have endpoints wherever I wanted to them to at multiple places or uh, unicast where it'll actually go through the pool of endpoints I have and send to any of them uh, relative to uh, a pattern. Um, so it just made it easier to, to spin up these workers, right? And so... Um, and so that was one of the advantages. And, and having a queue is key, whether you're doing microservices or not, honestly. Um, and so it gave us right away a queuing system that wasn't pull. So uh, therefore, I didn't have to worry about um, restarting the daemon that was uh, listening to the queue, which was tricky because you had to restart it on every build. And um, uh, if you didn't, you sometimes would have it using stale code and, and so forth. It was, it was always a little bit tricky at that one. Yeah. Interesting. And I guess the other piece, right, is that we don't have to, um, we're not worrying about maintenance as much. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and uh, hashtag I hate DevOps is basically the bottom line to my thinking, right? It's like, I don't, we have a bunch of workers now that I need to go update. And it's like, I don't want to, right? But with Iron, um, and this is not a paid ad with them, it's really nice because they're just taking care of the bottom line maintenance of this being the latest. You know, and they moved ahead with Docker and they got all that stuff and we could do all that. Uh, like you said, spin our own, but it's like um, you can only do so much, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's a very good point, though, with security uh, that maintains. Yeah. I know it's also been nice for us as we've kind of like, you know, we started working, I don't know. I mean, I, we kind of dove into Iron with one or two kind of use cases, and now we use it, I don't know, across four, well, at least four or five projects that I work on. Um, for lots of different things and it scales really well and that's nice too is that um, you know we can start out on a really low level like uh, essentially free or or close to free uh, model Um, and once you know the proof of concept uh, was achieved and it was time to time to actually put this thing into um, you know to a minimum viable product um, it was it was ready to roll. There's scaling built in, and that oh, yeah. that was really nice. Is um, you know it was just a matter of flipping a switch, up, upgrading the account, um, and we were yeah. ready to to have you know 29 concurrent workers instead of you know whatever we were at before six or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. So all that's been really nice. And again, even at the queue level, I, I know uh, Laravel 5.1 now has database queuing. Maybe five did actually, and. Uh, maybe even four if you had a uh, library. Um, but So you could really get away with just simple queuing as well. Um, but really for what we're doing, it was nice to have the more... Uh, uh, queuing has been a part of everything, so even if you don't think about their workers. And then they have cache, which is interesting for storing small sets of JSON data for uh, passing it around. Oh, that's but interesting. What's, yeah. uh, I'm curious about that because I haven't used it. What's um, Not to put you on the spot here, but what's, yeah. a, what's a use case... Um, yeah. what's a use case that that, you know, that you could see that that might be handy. I mean, so far, 
you know, one of the closest things I have is how I was saving that compare.json. Uh, we could have been dumping it there the whole time. Mm, okay. Uh, but but so that I got away with, you know, something else to do. But. Interesting. So that so, so just to give a kind of broader perspective, so that was, a, that was a thing, that was an environment where one worker, which was doing something, um, essentially created a, f- a file that needed to be used by another worker or yeah, another server. Exactly. And so instead of saving it on S3, which is what we're currently doing. We were doing. Yeah, not um, anymore. Okay. Then we can use cache uh, yeah. instead. Got it. Or, or, you know, and we, we, we use DynamoDB for the same thing, but, you know, it's one less thing to spin up. It's one less thing to hopefully, you know, get the security right. Yeah. Uh, so now instead of Dynamo for that instantaneous moment or – you know, of data that may, you know, needs to be talked to by these different workers. So our worker, our website talked to the, uh, you know, in this case, it's interesting. Our website talked to a queue uh, that then the queue was picked up by a different application, by a different technology altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have then said, hey, thanks for the queue. Uh, thanks for the information here. But also here's the cache I needed, the data object, mm, right? Right. So instead of me saving it to an S3 for it to get or Dynamo, uh, it just could have been there. So really cool we'll, stuff. Yeah, we'll dig into that more on on uh, maybe in a later project. Yeah. So just uh, a final thing on this. What do you think about? Um, you know, where does Lambda fall into this? Is this something? Oh, good point. You know. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I mentioned that last time. It's it's a challenge. It's like I built that little image processing thumbnail worker for fun. Uh, in but you could really spin that up in Lambda. So it's it's just going to be. Um, you know, again, the the other tool uh, that complements all our, our things, right? Right. And so Lambda, I don't know if it could really, it could, like, you know, making thumbnails, yes, but, like, we're processing uh, large PDFs, breaking them up in the pages and, and processing uh, intricate content out of them. I don't think it could have done that. Yeah. But I have to look into it more to find out if that's true. Right, right. Cool. Interesting stuff. Well, I think we have time for one or one or two more items. Um, okay. We'll see. Um, let's see. So the next thing, um, maybe you want to talk about a little bit or get us into it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, some are just announcements, so I'll move those over. But basically, um, I was going to mention <laughs> the Scrum software. You, you backed out of doing that one. I don't blame you. <laughs> um, you know, we don't have good Scrum software. We're using – I don't want to say we don't have good. It, it's not – it's not bad. It's just not, um, it's missing some things. And, but then, you know, so we're using scrum wise and, and now they'll never be a sponsor. Um, so, but their HTML five version might be better, but I always feel it's missing some things. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it's more reporting, uh, a better, uh, interface to see really who's doing what, what's going on. Um, you know, maybe just, maybe, just more of a workflow to help us out is, is maybe part of it too. But uh, I've tried Pivotal Labs and I felt like that was just too strict. And, and again, all these theories behind Agile are great, but in the end, it's it's just real life meets it and you, you got to be flexible. Yeah. Um, and Jared just sucked my soul. Like those things in Harry Potter, I forget what they're called. Um, but Jared was just horrible. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, you know, I'm not sure what the perfect software is to really help us... Um, clearly see what's up now what's on the backlog who's allocated to what are we over allocated and, and so forth uh so that was just bringing that one up and maybe people will give us feedback there too yeah it would be really interesting to see what people are using and what's out there um 
Yeah, I, I agree. Like it's so it's it can get so frustrating because over you know over the last year or so we've tried a, a number of approaches. <laughs> oh yeah, what did we try? Uh, uh, that was Hubor. That was yeah. fun, but it just lacked the the resource allocation and overview. And yeah, speeds were yeah. Not good it's interesting. I mean, this problem's been around so long. Honestly, the first one of the first times I met you, Al, which had to be like four or five <laughs> years ago now. This. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a camp somewhere. Oh. Uh, you know, uh, and this this was years ago. Um, and and uh, you know you were giving a talk on on what the um, on this exact thing trying to solve this exact problem so it's nothing new you yeah know. and maybe there is no perfect one because everybody needs something uh, slightly unique yeah I forget what uh, you were using back then I think it was an expensive I think there, it was actually a pretty expensive, oh right uh, I remember that yeah yeah that was good set up. Uh, I can't remember the name. It really wasn't bad. I, I'd have to think back at that one because uh, the company who bought it just didn't use it right. And, and so uh, it, it never uh, got to the point where I think it could have gotten to. Yeah. But I think some of that stuff is overcomplicated. I showed you my burndown spreadsheet, and I think that's actually uh, a quite good solution if it wasn't so... Um, uh, hard to maintain. Basically. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I, I view um, you know our current solution as kind of um, a pretty UI on with some extra bells and whistles on that spreadsheet that you yeah. use, yeah, um, which is great. Cool. It's awesome. What it's not, um, what it's not, and th- there there are some finicky parts about it that could be improved. But where I think it really lacks is like. I I basically want the the awesome ticket management of like the of get get just like simple like stupid simple GitHub issue like like it just yeah. couldn't be easier you can you you know you're kind of it's very easy to communicate very easy to reference things very easy to um you can, you know comments in your code things tied into code ship you know your your continuous yeah. integrate it's just like everything's there but it's ho- like it's horrible for you know that's that's issue management. That's it's not made for Scrum. Um, yeah. You know, and but it's so hard. But we don't. We can't. The problem is now is like who wants to maintain a giant list of you know giant like you know three hundred backlog items and you know whatever you know forty forty um, current sprint items. Like who wants to replicate and like maintain all of that between Scrumwise and GitHub like tickets so it's yeah. so at this point we're like well we have to pick one or the other so you know we're yeah. using scrum nice now so i'm we're losing all that great wonderful sugar uh that yeah. we would normally get in github so it's frustrating they do offer apis and integrations to even github but i didn't feel like uh i'll have to read it again i just feel like it was enough i think it's a good example though of uh you know a worker or a lambda that could say because github can hit web hooks and it could hit a web hook and say you know, person made new ticket, updated ticket or whatever. Uh, now I'm going to go do these other actions for you. Kind of like an, if this, then that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, but again, it's just who has time for this, you know? Right. Right. Um, so, so anyways, that's, that's the, the bane of my existence basically. Um, so like you said, the, uh, the list is pretty long here. Let's just touch quickly on actually two things that overlap. Uh, so one of my, uh, as an introvert and someone who, you know, has a lot of meetings, uh, little meetings here and there sometimes during the days. Um, it can be draining. It can definitely lose your focus. Uh, Slack adds to that for me. Like if I'm listening to Slack uh, constantly, even when I hear the ping, it's like, what what just happened? Even though I try to pull, put it off. Um, so that that's one of the things, meetings and, and interruptions and how they affect 
uh, it seems like some people they don't affect uh, some research shows that you know some people they do affect 15 to 20 minutes after an interruption it takes to get back to work um, one strategy I've been trying to use is Pomodoro uh, where you have a 25 minute segment of time that you just turn everything off for notifications and then just go to work uh, and then you come back out for five minutes to review any missed notifications and it seems like well that's not enough time to focus but then there's a pretty interesting point in the Bob Martin book uh, um, The Coder uh, that you know it's what was that? Clean Coder I think is that what it is? I think it is that yeah, yeah. Um, but basically that um, you know if you get too deep into the zone you can kind of sometimes lose focus of the bigger picture so even though in the past I used to love having two or three hours of no one bugging me, um, you know, it's still nice to have, uh, it, it, it can lead to a, a bad moment of like, you're so focused on something that isn't even really needed, you know, because right. you didn't take time to step back. So, right. Now it's a really good point. And, um, you know, it's, it is hard. And I do think that there's productivity loss, um, from that, um, so yeah, it, it's tr- it's tough. I mean, especially when you get you know, I mean, it's one thing when you know you're just chugging along and, and things are going well. It's another thing when you when you pile on to those kind of like slack distractions and and everything else. You, you know, slack distractions. You've got meetings. You've got you know, yeah, uh, de- you, you've got yeah. deadlines, uh, that, yeah. you know, like, so, you, you know, you get yourself into a, a week where it can, it can actually really, really have an impact on you. Uh, well, and I think, and me. I think uh, like it's, it's, it's yeah. like, Oh, well, I think the, the problem is as a developer, especially when I was younger, you would then do your work at night and, but that's not fair. And not only is that not fair, you're not going to have the good code, the tested code. Uh, you know, cause you're, you're working at night, your brain's not all there. You're a little bit tired. Right, right. Right. It's like, you know, your job is to code and to produce. So therefore, you know, all day can't be so full. And one thought there was, uh, um, 37 signals. One of their books talks about like, uh, you know, in, in their situations, one of their cultures is to say between these hours, no one, you know, bugs anybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, so they create that little like space to say for these three hours we're we're in coding mode or whatever. Yeah. So that that was uh, something I tried to do. Right. Um, but now I'm waking up, you know, what five o'clock to get it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Yeah. I I well I find that early in the morning is when I can be most productive too. I don't know if it's because I yeah. don't get disturbed or because I just find that to be a really productive time of yeah. the day. Um, but sure, it's interesting. I mean, I think you know. I mean, in some ways, there are like comparisons to like athlete, professional athletes, right? Like what we do, we really have to like um, we re- we have to train and prepare and you know take the right steps in order to put on our our a game, you know, um, and that's part of that. The, you know, the, the, thinking about these kinds of things and um, managing time in that way is part of that. I really should uh, give give a more concerted effort to trying uh, Pomodoro. I've, I've not really tried that, so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just the discipline of like, uh, you know, my timer says I have 10 minutes left. I can wait for that glass of water. I can wait for that tea I want or I can, you know, you know, it just uh, also keeps you just disciplined too because mm-hmm, uh, you look up there before you go step away for a moment. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a nice tool. Uh, I bought the app for the Mac to help uh, make it easy to do. Nice. I'll have to check that out. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's see. I moved some things off of the Q&A, um, unless you want to bring something up. No, no, that's good. We should. All right. We can definitely cover some of that next time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, some quick announcements. Um, 
we do have a sponsor page we'll link to if you feel like sponsoring or know any sponsors. Um, and uh, that was built with um, just to get a sense of how to use uh, Cashier and Stripe. So basically um, Laravel library to quickly do subscriptions with Stripe as, lo- as well as one-off payments. Uh, so that was fun to do for me, and uh, I'm just trying to get a better sense of that stuff so I can uh, build more uh, SaaS products. Uh, but you'll see a link into on our site in, in the show notes to the sponsor page. Another quick note is that uh, I released an ENV deploying tool uh, with some help from uh, BioFarm. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to make a tool where you can type at the console, you know, PHP, Artisan, uh, ENV deploy, push, and it would push your ENV settings to that environment, dev, staging, or prod, and then share. So you can easily say to each other, hey, give me your latest ENV settings, and you just share them instead of throwing them in Slack. Uh, so that was that's that's out there and getting better. Um, so and uh, the last one uh, I'll do because I posted these and Nathan won't know what the heck they're about. Uh, PHP Magazine had a new release, PHP Arch. Uh, so it's you know always good to keep up on those. Um, it's the June release. Yeah, I've really enjoyed. I I read the previous release, the May, and it, it's really a, a a quality publication. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun and. Uh, you know, and just, yeah, it's totally great to just get a sense of what's going on out there and other people's views on how to do things. Right. In uh, one announcement, too, is uh, PHP Roundtable podcast was fun. It had uh, Larry Garfield and a bunch of other people on it talking about PSR. Oh, yeah. Really, that, really good stuff. That was a great one. It was yeah. it was really interesting. I watched that yesterday. Yes, yeah. Yep, very good. All right. All right, well, I think that's it. Anything else, Al? Uh, just remind people if you get a chance rate us on iTunes because uh, I guess that matters alright awesome well that's it for us we'll see you next time